This is Epicenter Bitcoin, episode 122, with guest Zuko Wilcox O'Hearn. of Epicenter Bitcoin is brought to you by the GTEC Blockchain Contest. If you have an idea for a blockchain-related project, make sure you apply for your chance to win awards for 50,000 euros. Go to epicenterbitcoin.com slash GTEC, that's G-T-E-C, to learn more about GTEC and how you can apply. And by Ledger, now accepting pre-orders for the all-new Ledger Blue Developer Edition, a Bluetooth and NFC touchscreen hardware signing device. Learn more about Ledger Blue at ledgerwallet.com and use the discount code EPICENTER to get 10% off your first order. Hello and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects and startups driving decentralization in the global, global blockchain and cryptocurrency revolution. My name is Brian Fabian Crane. And I'm Meher Roy. Today, uh, today we are continuing with our series on ZK Snark and on zero knowledge proof technology, and we are going to talk to Zuko Wilcoxo Hearn, who is the founder and CEO of Zero Zcash. Zcash is trying to implement a fully private, uh, fully privacy aware, open financial system using zero knowledge proof technology. So we are going to talk about how that will be built and its consequences. But before that. We'd like to have an introduction from Zuko. So Zuko, can you tell us a bit about your background? Hi there. Um, my background, when I was 19 years old, I discovered the Cypherpunks mailing list on this new thing I just discovered called the internet. Um, and there I became exposed to all kinds of grandiose visions of how the combination of the internet plus cryptography plus those two things becoming widely available to billions of people could have all kinds of fantastic consequences. And I've been really fortunate in my life that I've gotten to spend almost my entire adult life working on those things that I love. And, um, the the development of Bitcoin was a breakthrough that a lot of the cypherpunks, including me, had dreamed of from the beginning, where the beginning is like 1993 or so, um, and couldn't figure out how to make that dream real until Satoshi came up with it. And so that that breakthrough about how what's technically possible, combined with the community of Bitcoiners who were motivated um, emotionally and politically and morally motivated to invest in it and make it important to their lives. That is what um, sort of revived the whole cypherpunk revolution in my experience. So I was I was in London recently and I was talking with uh, Ian Grick there. And we, we talked, oh no, it was an Amsterdam. But anyway, we talked a little bit about the history as well of the cypherpunks. And, and he sort of had this view that, you know, there was all this excitement in the 90s. And then a little bit, it got lost for a while, you know, until Bitcoin came. Was that your experience as well? Oh, absolutely. There were many years when I thought I was the last lonely cypherpunk. Like, um, there was the, the boom and bust cycles of... Uh, of the internet industry uh, during those years. And there was a widespread um, narrative that privacy is dead and no one cares. Um, and that's what, that's what was, uh, from my perspective, uh, completely upended by the Bitcoin phenomenon. So, so is Bitcoin something that when it came about, you were immediately like, yes, this is what ha we have been waiting for. This is amazing. Or were you also, because a lot of people, you know, we've talked with, especially cypherpunks, you know, were, were initially quite skeptical and was like, oh, this, this doesn't make any sense. It's not going to work. 
what was your reaction? I was I was somewhat skeptical. Um, those people, including me, were skeptical because we tried and tried and tried. I I struggled for maybe twelve or fourteen years to come up with uh, something like Bitcoin, and I couldn't figure out any way to make it work. And so um, when I very first saw it, I was skeptical because uh, for for bad reasons, I misunderstood it. I think that's common for a lot of people. Um, but I was also I also thought it was a good stab in the right direction, right? Like I think progress is made by a lot of variety of small mistakes on different people's parts. Um, so I, I liked it. And um, well, I'm the author of one of the earliest blog posts to ever mention Bitcoin on the internet, probably. Um, and what I said about it in this tiny little like one paragraph blog post, well, I talked about why an open financial system would be important if it could exist. And then I said, uh, and here's Bitcoin, which is an actual attempt to implement and deploy it. Um, so that's one thing that I think goes a long way that is hard to appreciate is that deploying a thing to users and having a feedback loop of users using it and, and changing what it does and changing the way people use it, that's um, a completely better way to learn than than theory and analysis. So Zuko, uh, like you are very active on Twitter and you tweet a lot every day and you tweet very interesting stuff, which is, I think, I think, I think, I think very important for the Bitcoin community as well, because you have such a, such a big body of experience uh, in this field. And there was one of the tweets that I would like to read out. And then ask you, uh, what what does it mean? Can you state it differently? What does I it hope mean it's for not us? one of those drunk tweets? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> hopefully not. So so you tweet you tweeted one of these days that, um, <clears throat> and this was your exact tweet. Like, I recognize that mistake. I've worked on so many things, starting with DigiCash, where we thought we were so special that we couldn't lose at all. However, it's never enough. We can always lose. It's never enough. It's never enough. And we have to try harder. So um, are you trying to send a message to the Bitcoin community? And if so, what what is it? Yeah, I really feel that. Um, there's a thing that my community has, has, has made a mistake over and over that I've seen for two decades now, which is a feeling of, yeah, inevitable success be based on some argument like you have a special feature uh that that nobody else has and and by you i could mean either like a a company that's making some product like digicash was a, a product it was a privacy preserving internet currency um in the 90s um and the narrative at digicash was that people would eventually need to um transact on this new internet thing that people were starting to use more and more, uh, which at the time, at the time was pretty much a non-commercial world. Um, and that they would never be able to use credit cards and bank accounts and things like that for that purpose, for, for various reasons, especially privacy, because no one would ever be willing to risk their credit card number by typing it in to a web browser. Uh, therefore, DigiCash was the only game in town. Um, and that turned out absolutely wrong in practice, right? Um, and therefore, all of the science and uh, product development and work that we did at DigiCash didn't reach people directly. It may have had indirect effects by other people learning from it and so forth. But that as a product and as a company was a failure. And I've seen the same kind of thinking uh, over the years in many different um, fields of this sort of cypherpunk, privacy-preserving, um, individual-empowering technology. Um, and it's based on a good reason that, the, that empowering individuals really is valuable and important. And um, there are often not very com many competitors that are also trying to empower individuals. Uh, but it's not sufficient. That doesn't make you win, right? Um, and I think the bit, at least whenever I wrote that tweet, I wasn't drunk, by the way, but whenever I wrote that tweet, 
uh, I was perceiving the Bitcoin community or some specific people, I suppose, I don't remember who, uh, as having that, that same overconfidence that Bitcoin is so special uh, and does something that nothing else does. Uh, and therefore, we can like take our time to do it right or um, whatever other. We don't have to worry too much about some aspects. Um, and I think that's really wrong. What I meant by that we have to try harder is mostly that we have to connect to more and more users. Um, and by connect, we have to give them whatever it is that they really want and that they can't get from, from anywhere else. I completely agree. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, having gotten into Bitcoin in 2013, it's just sort of before it was all taking off uh, at that time, I, I had, I made that same mistake in a way that, you know, you, I, I would see that uh, a lot of, you know, the flaws of the existing system. And then you see this vision of a different world where everybody uses Bitcoin and everything works so much better in many ways. And, and it's, it's really obvious to see that. But sort of like how you get there isn't isn't obvious at all. But you know, just somehow a lot of people, including myself at that time, you know, make the assumption that because the end destination is a you know consistent vision that's compelling, therefore we must also get there and be on the way, which is completely wrong. That's really well put. Yeah, it's such an inspiring vision, and it's good to have an inspiring vision, but it's not sufficient. We have to we have to try hard to get there. And we might fail, but hopefully we won't. Okay, so, so now let's let's dive into Zcash. Um, first question is why are you building Zcash, and who are you building it with? Yeah, starting from I was literally 19 years old, so more than half of my life ago, uh, I discovered the science papers of David Chom, the great cryptographer, who's the father of most of the crypto ideas that protect privacy on the internet. Uh, and I just specifically his papers about uh, privacy preserving money. And um, starting from then, my great inspiring vision that I thought was so wonderful uh, was an entire world of humans that were freed to collaborate and cooperate with one another by a, an information system, namely the, the Internet <clears throat> and a money system. Um, allowed them to find and organize with whoever wanted to work with them. Um, I thought that was so important because I think almost everything that um, we all value in life, like having good relationships with our families and having education and peace and safety and um, the opportunity to learn and accomplish new things and grow as people, all of that depends on the economy, it depends on having opportunities provided by collaborating with other humans productively. So starting way back then, I thought that was the like best, most important thing I could imagine. And, um, and that thing is an open financial system with privacy and fungibility. And then, but it wasn't possible. It was a vision that there was no path to until uh, Satoshi solved the open financial system part of it for the first time with Bitcoin. And then um, the the scientists who came up with zero coin and then zero cash added in privacy and fungibility on top of an open financial system, um, which is easy to say in one sentence, an open financial system with privacy and fungibility uh, but it requires some real technological and cryptographic breakthroughs to actually make that real. Um, so that's why I'm working on Zcash. <laughs> does that answer the question? Uh, yeah, it, it definitely does. I mean, like with, with, with Zcash, it's like we have an open financial system and we have privacy. It's like we have two things that are really, that seem contradictory in a way, you know, like you need an open ledger so that we can validate it. But we also want privacy and it seems like mutually contradictory and it might have seemed so to Satoshi as well, whoever he or she may be. 
but it's 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 like beautiful and interesting that this is actually possible <laughs> and that we are going to build it as a as a community and we're going to popularize these kinds of systems that's a, that's an amazing thing now there was but though a second part to the question is like who are you building this system with what's the team oh um well it's not just me I, the the thing that i'm proudest of so far is in my um my experience as being CEO is recruiting the best people and keeping them on my team. Um, we have five engineers. You can go to our Z.Cache is our website. Z.Cache is a pretty cool domain name. And uh, the team page on there shows uh, all of the people currently contributing. We have five engineers who are super great um, security hackers and crypto hackers. Um, they're a really rare breed. And... Um, we have all those scientists who invented those uh, protocols, including Ellie that you previously had on the program. Um, and uh, I have to say that when we announced the existence of Zcash um, a little while back, uh, my second favorite uh, coverage of it in the press was the fact that it was in the print edition of Wired because because uh, I started reading Wired when I was like 18 years old, you know, when the first edition of Wired came out. And uh, I, could, I was able to go down to my local um, supermarket and take a photograph of the physical dead tree edition of Wired with uh, Zcash in it on the shelves there. But my first favorite uh, press coverage was a Bitcoin blogger who wrote a blog post saying there's this new announcement of this thing called Zcash, but there's something fishy about it. I think it might be a hoax announcement because the team is too good to be true. <laughs> I love that. I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, that is amazing. <laughs> so how do you how do you explain Zcash? Um, the first simple explanation is to say, well, you know about Bitcoin, right? And the person you're explaining it to says, oh yeah, I know all about Bitcoin. It's an open ledger. And uh, the simplest explanation of Zcash is to say it's an encrypted open ledger. So all of that data is there in a canonical replicated global ledger, but all of the data is encrypted and can only be viewed by the right people. That's the simple version. And also let's also have the complex version because uh... We did we did ZK Snarks. So so for our, for our viewers that are viewing this episode first, you should maybe maybe for this section you should go back and check out our episode with Eli uh, Eli Ben Sasson, who is a professor at Technion, and he explains the fundamental primitive the, the fundamental cryptographic prim primitive that Zcash uses, and that's called a ZK Snark. It's something like in the seventies you had the invention of public cryptography. That didn't exist before that, right? And public cryptography created new kinds of systems that, like pioneers in the sixties, couldn't have imagined. And our gen, our like, the the thing that is coming in our lives, which is like public crypto, is this thing called a zk snark. So you should go back and see what what it is, and it's needed for this podcast. But assuming that that section is there and people understand our viewers understand what zk snarks are like describe how the ledger works using that terminology one layer deep okay yeah so so for the purpose of this discussion z snarks are also known as zero knowledge proofs um are a way to prove some sort of computational fact about some data without revealing the data. And so the way we're gonna use it is that there's a fundamental, like you said earlier, sort of fundamental contradiction between an open system and a privacy and fungibility preserving system. Um, and the simplistic description of Zcash as an encrypted open ledger, uh, if, you're, if you're familiar with Bitcoin and cryptography, you your, your eyes start narrowing and you say, wait a second, you can't have an encrypted open ledger because the miners and full nodes won't have any way to validate transactions. So they won't be able to reject invalid transactions from the ledger. So that's the fundamental problem that, that snarks are a solution to. So a snark, since it can prove some 
facts about some encrypted data without revealing the encrypted data, we can use it. So um, the simple model that I use when talking to people is that Bitcoin is a open ledger of sender address, recipient address, and amount transferred. So it's like a database with three columns, spreadsheet, three columns. And um, Zcash is the same, except all three of those columns are encrypted. And then it has a fourth column, which is the proof or the snark. Um, the proof is a proof that the other, th the, the, the data uh, inside the encryption in this row uh, correctly satisfies some validity constraints. And the constraints are the obvious thing that the sender did, did have that money and hasn't um, double spent it to someone else already. So that's one layer deeper. And it gets a lot more complicated the, the closer you go into the protocol. But that explains, that's like accurate enough description of the zero cash protocol. And it explains why snarks are a necessary component of it. Let's take a short break to talk about the GTEC blockchain contest. GTEC, the German Tech Entrepreneurship Center, is a new center in Berlin for entrepreneurship and they want to support exciting projects happening in this space. So that's why they're running a blockchain contest together with RWE, which is one of the largest energy companies in Europe, and Globumbus, a foundation supporting entrepreneurship. You can participate by submitting your idea for your project and win up to $50,000 in free grant money. That's equity free. You just take the money and do what you want with it. Uh, anybody can apply, whether you're a, a, an early stage startup and perhaps you just have an idea, a blossoming idea, and uh, or you can apply if you've already raised funding and are well on your way to becoming the next uh, multi-billion dollar company. And anybody can apply, whether you're in Berlin and Siberia, in Shanghai, or in San Francisco, uh, there's no geographical restrictions, and anybody who applies can win up to 12 months of free office space in Berlin, uh, free mentoring, legal support, etc. Of course, that's totally optional. If you want to stay in Siberia and work on your blockchain startup, you can also do that. The application deadline is March 31st, so make sure you submit your idea as soon as possible. You can learn more about the contest and apply by going to epicenterbitcoin.com slash gtech, that's G-T-E-C. And we hope you'll win, we hope you'll make it to Berlin to collect your money and that we'll get to hang out in person. Now we would like to thank uh, GTEC, RWE and Globumbus for their support of Epicenter Bitcoin. So. Perhaps we could like walk through um, walk through different perspectives, right? Like, like in Bitcoin, we have uh, like in order to describe Bitcoin, what the way I would do it is like I would put the put the person I'm trying to explain it to in the shoes of a user, a shoes of a recipient, then the shoes of a miner, and then the shoes of a full node owner. And then once he understands all the four perspectives, it's like okay, okay, this is how the whole system connects, right? So um, perhaps you could do the same for, for zero cash, right? So Well, it's mostly the same as Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? Um, the miners and full nodes in Zcash are, uh, ideally, they're validating all the transactions. Um, the miners are also adding proof of work on top of the transactions and getting a reward from the um, monetary base distribution schedule. This is all the same in Bitcoin and Zcash. Um, one, so the difference from the point of view of a miner, uh, well, for one thing, we're going to change the proof of work. We can get to that later if you want. Uh, but the other thing is, the, the main thing is that the miners are also, as part of the validity checks, are checking the zero-knowledge proofs uh, that are attached to each private transaction. So that's the only difference from the point of view of a miner. Is that Make sense? Yeah, and so what, what about a full node? It's the same, except if you have uh, the private keys that give you access to transactions, um, then you can detect that some of these encrypted transactions are money for you. So that means you have to check every single transaction, right? If there's some money in there for you. And also, for example, you know, if you have a, you know, it's it's easy for, 
you know, you have, let's say you have some web wallet and the web wallet, of course, knows, you know, what are the private keys, what are the addresses that you own and, you know, you can... Just let me uh, interrupt. Does a web wallet mean you're a dumb, like, web browser and you're relying on some third-party service to hold your private keys? It could be either, I guess. So it could be something like, uh, you know, blockchain or info where it's like... Uh, key private keys are in your browser encrypted, right? But it, it knows what public keys you have. It can ping an API and know, okay, here's the balance. So this isn't possible, right? With so this is what they call a light client. R right, yeah. Yeah, or an SPV client, they might call it. Or it can even be, I mean, if you're blockchain or info, it's not even a light client, right? It's, it's just um, because it doesn't do SPV proofs. So it even, even you can just ask, uh, ask an API. Yeah, there are different sort of levels of uh, delegation of vulnerability to a to a third party that different kinds of more or less light clients could use. Um, I don't know for sure um, all of the consequences of Zcash's privacy for light clients. Uh, maybe some of the other members of my team have. I, I know some of the other members of my team have uh, thought more carefully about light clients than I have at this point. So, for example, um, let's say, so for for convenience, let's like imagine, like you said, uh, a spreadsheet, right? So a spreadsheet has three rows. Um, the first row is the, is the is the public key or address. So, you know, it would be like Zuko's address, Brian's address, Meher's address, and so on. The second row has, uh, uh, has the value. Generally, in, in Bitcoin, you would imagine it as having value, right? You mean column, right? Yeah, see if it's a spreadsheet in that yeah, layout. Yeah, fine. So column. So the second column has value. And and with Bitcoin, the way uh so if I want to send money to Brian, what needs to happen is in this spreadsheet, let's say I'm sending five bitcoins to Brian, then from from the row corresponding to my address, five should be subtracted, and then it needs to be added like plus five to the row in which uh like uh, which corresponds to Brian's address, right? And and uh, so to do this, I create a transaction, which is essentially a way of me saying to the Bitcoin network, hey, subtract five from mine and add five to Brian's row. And then I sign it with my private key. Now, now when, I, when I do this signature, uh, some node can actually check my signature. And because it has this spreadsheet, open spreadsheet, uh, it can go and say, okay, Meher has enough balance like enough money to make this transaction so let's subtract from him and add from brian right now um now in zero cash what you're saying is uh this spreadsheet looks a bit different so there, there is the account number and there's the amount but it's encrypted so like there's one row corresponding to meher's account and amount but that's encrypted so the miner doesn't the node or the miner doesn't know how much is the actual value Correct. And and similarly, the one for the, the row for Brian is like that. So how so I need to create a transaction and the miner needs a way of knowing that I have enough money. And is this the part that ZK Snarks are solving? Yes, that's what the the snarks are for, is to make it so the miner can uh, reject a transaction from someone if that person doesn't, if their private key doesn't actually control enough money to make this transaction. Um, so it would be, I think, I think it would be too much detail to go down another level of detail and talk about the actual like layout of the values in the crypto protocol. Um, but the effect of it is um, the fourth column in that ledger is a proof which, uh, because of the amazing properties of zero knowledge proofs, the, we know that, so we don't know the sender address, the recipient address, or the value transferred, but we do know that nobody could have created this here proof in the fourth column, I'm holding my hand out over here, nobody could have created the, the proof that um, comes with the other encrypted values unless they have a secret key which controls sufficient value to cover the amount that's getting decremented. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So so basically like a zero cash transaction, like if I if I look at a zero cash transaction, this could be anybody in the world sending money to anyone else in the world. And it could be a billion dollars or a 50 cents. And it all looks the same to me or it looks similar to me. It looks garbled. Right. And that's that's a good example of the difference between Zcash and the other privacy technologies that are for adding privacy to open ledgers. Um, there's a lot of them with different kind of trade-offs, but Zcash is the only one that is sort of universal. Like all of the information has been hidden through encryption. Uh, well, almost all, like as much, as much as you could do with cryptography is done by this in terms of omitting information from, from leaking into the public blockchain. Uh, and just as you say, that means that the, the sort of bundle of transactions or key key holders that, that your uh, actions are, are mixed in in the crowd with is, is everyone. It's like the biggest possible crowd. It's all users of the system. Now there is still some information that can leak in terms of timing, um, and in terms of blockchain, like how up to date you are on the blockchain, okay? Uh, but that's sort of inevitable because of the fact that time passes and blockchain synchronization takes time. Um, so, um, by which I mean to say, if you make a transaction and then someone else joins the network later and buys some Zcash and then they make a transaction, uh, someone can tell the difference between those because they happen at different times, right? So there is information that just about the times that transactions happen. So if, you, if you're like Chainalysis and you're looking at um, the Zcash blockchain, <laughs> I don't think it's a very interesting visualization. It's just a sequence <laughs> of timestamps of when a transaction occurred. <laughs> so just briefly, so with, with, with blockchains and with Bitcoin, there's a whole range of things that people are excited about it, but one of one of them has also been actually the aspect of transparency. So you know, many many people have been excited about, for example, the idea of let's say a nonprofit that is purely Bitcoin can you know run their accounting fully public, everybody can inspect it, or one can also imagine a lot of other scenarios where. You know, I make a payment and I want to prove to some other party that I made that payment. Does Zcash remove all of these possibilities or can I selectively prove to other parties certain things about transactions I've sent or received? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it wouldn't even be possible really with cryptography to, I don't think it would be possible to make a system where you couldn't prove things to other parties because um, you have secrets controlled by your client software. And if you reveal those secrets or some cryptographic derivative of those secrets to another party, that can serve as a proof to the other party. So um, this is a part of the Zcash design, which is not finished, at least not as well sketched out as I would like it to be. Um, there are different levels or kinds of being able to selectively reveal information to other people. Um, in the current Zcash design as it's currently running on our alpha testnet, you can reveal specific transactions and anybody that you reveal them to is able to look at them in the blockchain and verify the clear text con contents, right? Because every, every row in this encrypted ledger is encrypted with a separate encryption key, right? Um, and so if you reveal the decryption key to one of those rows to someone else, that allows them to see that transaction in the ledger. Make sense? So that's sufficient, I think, for like the proof of payment use case and maybe a lot of use cases. Uh, the the whole overall um, term for this kind of thing that we use is selective transparency. Like Bitcoin is mandatory transparency all the time. And if you want to get privacy, you can try to kind of claw some back with um, various techniques, but you're starting with everything being transparent all the time. And it's a common misunderstanding for people to think that Zcash is the opposite and it's everything confidential all the time. Instead, Zcash is selective transparency where you can reveal the 
specific things to specific people. And and revealing those things, of course, doesn't create any vulnerabilities that, you know, I can prove I got this money, but then also it means that the other person can steal my money or it is nothing like that. Right. So in the current version of Zcash, you can reveal specific transactions, the, the history, the past, the current existence of a specific transaction in the blockchain without giving away any other of your um, authority to control your own money or other information of your trans of your history. Um, I'd be interested in, in people's feedback about a possible future extension to Zcash um, that we've sketched out a lot of the crypto cryptography of it, but we're probably not going to put it into Zcash 1.0 for mostly for engineering timeline reasons. And that would be uh, what we call a view key, which is a thing you can give to someone to reveal all of your all of the transactions associated with a specific payment address. And what the thing that I'm wondering about is what it, are there use cases that are important? Like I imagine you said the nonprofit example earlier, uh, where you want to prove to the world that like you want to show the world uh, an accounting of all of the donations you've received or, yeah. and, or you might want to show the world an accounting of what you're spending it on. Um, or maybe only one of those two. Um, and similarly, like a, a, a company or a business partnership or a, a nonprofit, a nonprofit organization has a treasurer, and that's the only person who's authorized to spend the, the club's money, right? Um, but all of the members of like the board of directors or whatever of that club are authorized to view whatever the treasurer does do with the money, right? So that would be a use case for what I call a view key which is where the treasurer would have the spending key uh, and would give to all of the members of the board of directors a copy of the view key. And with the view key, they could tell all of the transactions that that spending key has done. But that's not currently in the current protocol for Zcash. But I, and I can't tell if the, the thing that is current, the kind of selective transparency that is currently in the Zcash protocol is good enough for the use cases. That's the kind where you can selectively refill specific transactions. See the difference? Yeah, yeah, I can see the difference. I mean, is this something we've wanted to circle back to briefly later? It's the sort of application of, you know, Zcash in other areas, but, uh, or, or, you know, technologies like that. But I can especially see when you start getting into like more complex smart contract type things that you know, the selective revealing of information is going to be really critical. So having a lot of capabilities there will probably extremely be extremely valuable. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me too. It feels like, it kind of feels like to me that with the right selective transparency functionality, that Zcash is a superset of Bitcoin's functionality. Because the the canonical shared source of truth property in Bitcoin. I mean, it's also in Ethereum, but um, Bitcoin is the pioneer of it. Um, having a, a shared source of truth is a, is a novel and potentially really valuable, powerful tool. And it feels like to me, there's an even more general purpose and more powerful tool that could exist, which is the shared source of truth blockchain. But you can only see the subset of it that you're allowed to see given the view keys that you can can peer through to look at the blockchain so i'm, I'm very interested in that use case and that's um that's probably like we're going to ship zcash 1.0 very soon and it's going to have a the aforementioned limited form of selective transparency there i didn't i didn't want to get into too much detail but there's also a possibility in Zcash 1.0 to uh, share a key that reveal, I think, I'm, I could be wrong, but I'm like 95% sure at this point that there's a way to uh, share a view key, a kind of view key that reveals uh, all of your incoming transactions, uh, but not your outgoing ones. Um, and also only the ones that 
yeah, that's that's basically the, the fact. So uh, I think I, I'd be interested in your and other people's feedback on this. I think the notion of a a shared canonical global source of truth with uh, overlapping controls over who can see which subsets of the truth is potentially really important. And what we're about to ship in Zcash 1.0 is sort of the the first step, which it solves at least part of that. But I'd be really interested in whether that's good enough for specific use cases. Yeah, I mean, so if if you look at the smart contract, so I, I you know I work for Eris, so there there's a lot of you know thinking of smart contracts and you know how one can implement complex processes there and there that's i think really critical because the privacy selective revealing thing is really complex and it's going to be really important uh so yeah i think this is because with when you add yeah. smart contracts it's really important because then you need to delegate to um it seems like to me that if you have if you're using smart contracts then you need to give computer programs the ability to view certain subsets of the blockchain's source of truth, right? And I think it's really important when designing such systems that you're able to give computer programs the ability uh, to view what they need to view without thereby giving them the ability to view other stuff. Because if they if they get unnecessary excess uh, authority to penetrate confidentiality, then that can be exploited. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that that definitely makes sense. I mean, yeah, it, it looks like it's, it does look like a superset of, uh, of, of, of Bitcoin. Today's magic word is privacy. That's P-R-I-V-A-C-Y. Head over to letstalkbitcoin.com to sign in, enter the magic word, and claim your part of the listener reward. What are kind of uh, kind of the performance characteristics of this system? So let's say I I want to spend uh, some some Zcash, right? And I I want to send you some Zcash. Um, how much time does it take for me to create a transaction? And how much time does it take for the miner to verify that my transaction is correct? The current alpha code that we have running on a test net, it takes like about a minute or two of CPU time to generate a new privacy preserving spend and only like a few milliseconds i think um to verify the latter part is really good performance and that's really important because all the full nodes and miners have to be doing all those verifications all the time uh the former part is pretty pretty bad um because it takes a, a whole minute or two on like a laptop 64-bit high-powered supercomputer cpu uh, it also takes a ton of RAM, like probably more than four gigabytes of RAM, I think. We haven't measured it yet, <laughs> precisely, uh, to, to, to generate a new spend. Um, so that is totally prohibitive for certain use cases, uh, like generating a new spend on your smartphone, for starters. Um, and anything that's got a real low latency requirement where you get incoming money that you receive and then like a millisecond later, you need to spend that money to someone else right away. So that's totally impossible with the current uh, protocol. But there might be ways around it because if um, you can receive, if you have a a, a buffer of money, um, you can spend it using a privacy-preserving payment, so that the, so there's no linkage between where where it came to you. Um, then you can privately spend it to like a new address, right? So there's no linkage in the blockchain between where you got it and that new address that it's current that currently controls it. And then you could do a um, a non-private spend of it directly from that address. This is a thing that we haven't talked about in this podcast, but Zcash contains um all of the bitcoin protocol it's a clone of the bitcoin code base and it's a superset of the bitcoin protocol it's it's the bitcoin protocol plus the privacy preserving spend so that's the only one 
the new the new transaction is the only one that has better privacy properties. Everything we talked about about the encrypted ledger is only when we're talking about the privacy preserving spend transactions. Make sense? So so you have the option of doing a privacy preserving transaction, but you also have the option of not doing one. And, right. And just, just doing a regular transaction that would be as fast and as easy to generate as a Bitcoin transaction. Exactly. And you get exactly the same privacy properties as you got from Bitcoin uh, with those kind, uh, but potentially better because the existence of the privacy preserving transactions means that th they break the links of the chain of transaction history. Makes sense. So if you're looking at like one of those chain analysis views, um, if there's a series of globally transparent transactions that don't use the privacy feature, you can see them. So if you're looking at, if you had some kind of visualizer like chain analysis and you pointed at the Zcash blockchain, you would be able to see chains of transactions of anybody who, of any any series of transactions that use the globally transparent protocol. Uh, but whenever that transaction term that that chain terminates in a privacy preserving protocol, that one of the Zcash spends, then you don't know uh, like where else in the whole blockchain it went, right? So that it really, except modulo those uh, those timing issues I brought up earlier, um, it really protects the privacy of the whole and the fungibility of the whole system, even though there are short chains of globally visible transactions. Um, yeah. One of the, so the main reason, there's several really good reasons why we're keeping the globally transparent protocol in there. Uh, one is backward compatibility. If you are running a product or service or hacking something on top of Bitcoin right now, you can switch or add Zcash as a backend and it's all the same. Everything continues to work the same as it did before. Um, and the other is that there's a bunch of functionality in the Bitcoin or the, the globally transparent protocol uh, that we can't do with the privacy preserving spins like multi-signature transactions, right? Those are really, really important in Bitcoin. There's a lot of really cool things being built uh, with multi-signature transactions. And so Zcash can do multi-signature transactions using the globally transparent subset of the protocol. But when you want to do a privacy-preserving spend, you can't do multi-signature. You can just do a direct payment. Oh, so, okay, that, that seems like a, like a very, very interesting point. So before we go on, like, uh, so... Uh, just translating what you what you said right now uh, in another language it's like if i suppose let's say i own 100 bitcoin and every month i idealistically spend two or three most of the money i don't spend so what i could do is um, keep most of my 100 bitcoin in the privacy part of the ledger and at the beginning of the month bring out say the three i want to spend in the public part and I can spend these three, like, you know, like, like normal Bitcoin, very fast transactions, etc. And if there's some balance left over in after the month, like, let's say, there's, you know, that's 0.2 Bitcoin left over, I could then put it back into the privacy section, private section of the ledger as well. So, so somebody can't figure out that I actually own 100 Bitcoin. Well, that's correct. That's what I said. I do want to emphasize that we don't know for sure that kind of puts, when you use Zcash like that, it kind of moves you a little closer to those uh, lesser privacy solutions out there where it seems like it should be pretty safe, but exactly how safe it would be would depend on how smart your attacker was and how much they knew about you, right? Because um, if, if there's somebody who's like, targeting you, like there's a criminal that's planning to extort you or rob you or something. Um, if they know stuff about you, like if they can tell what times of day you connect to the internet or what kinds of things you like to buy with your money or other, other information, they might be able to correlate that with the uh, transaction information that's revealed by the hybrid um, usage that you just described okay um, so it's not 
the, uh, earlier I said that Zcash offers sort of the maximal possible privacy that cryptography can provide, and that is true if if the only thing you ever do with it is the privacy protecting spends, right? Then then you're putting as little information as possible about your behavior into the blockchain. Um, but because, like you said, uh, like you asked about the performance, um, the current implementation and the protocol itself has these performance consequences, which may preclude using privacy protective spins on um, like all devices or in all use cases, plus which everybody might need multi-signature transactions sometimes. And so we can't do those with privacy protecting spins right now. Um, so it gets more complicated in terms of the safety analysis. Let's take a short break so we can go to Paris. I stopped into La Maison du Bitcoin, situated in the heart of Paris's startup scene, and I met with Eric Larchevêque, Ledger CEO, to talk about the Ledger Nano. The Ledger Nano is a Bitcoin hardware wallet based on a secure element. It is on a USB form factor that you plug directly inside your computer and it will manage all your private keys. The signature of transactions will be done inside the secure element, thus never revealing the private keys to the host computer. It is compatible with our own Ledger Wallet Chrome app, which you can also use for multi-signature with Copay or CoinKite, and a large range of third-party applications such as Mycelium, Electrum, GreenBits, GreenAddress, and so on. The Nano also exists as a cool bracelet wearable, so you can always wear proudly your Bitcoins on your wrist. The Ledger Nano is an easy-to-use hardware storage option which doesn't compromise on security. If you want to get a secure setup for storing your Bitcoins, go to ledgerwallet.com and use the offer code EPICENTER to get 10% off your order. We'd like to thank Ledger for their support of EPICENTER Bitcoin. So, uh, so let's let's move on to uh, a couple of um, couple of common kind of questions, uh, like questions people have about zero cash. Uh, these are like kind of challenges to to the system. So one of the one of the questions is that um, like for, for for viewers, like for people who have been in the Bitcoin space for a long time, they might remember that in two thousand ten, very early days of Bitcoin, there was an event where a guy figured out how he could create billions of new Bitcoin. Like he could easily cross the 21 million limit. This was because he could create a transactions that the miner would accept as valid. And that transactions would end up creating new Bitcoins. And then uh, Satoshi at that time and Gavin figured out that such a thing could exist. Like this person told them so. And they changed the protocol to, uh, to not allow that kind of transaction to go through. So... Um, so this was an, the case of an implementation bug where somebody could create Bitcoins because the rules of the system were not, let's say, as proper as they should be. Mm -hmm. Now, in something like zero cash, if there's an implementation bug like that, then the attacker could create coins and those coins would be completely private. So he, So nobody would be able to even know that new coins were created. Like if I were to like say zero Zcash was released and I figured out an implementation bug like that and I created new coins and I could basically keep on creating them all my life and live uh, live a good life just on that. But the other people suffer inflation. So this kind of seems to lead to the expectation that like zero cash has to be very, very well engineered and almost be like bulletproof against these kinds of things. Do you think there's some other uh, way by which you could address this doubt? Um, that's a really, really good question. That's uh, one of the things that I'm most concerned about. Um, now, for starters, Zcash is really, really well engineered. Um, we started with uh, by cloning the most recent or a, a recent version of Bitcoin Core. Um, and that, and the reason we did that is because Bitcoin Core has been uh, running in production for so many years, right? And um, bugs like that, um, of which there have been more than one, um, security flaws of various kinds have have been found and fixed. And a lot of people have studied it and audited it, and and uh, we have higher confidence that there aren't a lot more such flaws in Bitcoin's code base. Um, likewise, with the um, the code that we're adding to do the 
privacy-preserving transactions, we're being extremely careful. Like I said at the beginning, um, my team is absolutely world-class uh, experts at this kind of work, and that doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. Um, but we're we're doing we're we're doing a really really good job of being careful about things that risk inserting bugs like that. But that's not really very satisfying to me. I don't like having sort of all of our eggs in the prevention basket and none in the detection and and uh, like correction side. Um, but doing it like that, having no good detection of that kind of bug is, it seems like kind of an, sort of an inevitable consequence of the strong privacy properties. Anything that had such good privacy might also have uh, such problems with um, public validation of the correctness. Um, that said, we have some ideas. Actually, I recently uh, blogged about some of these ideas. Um, we have some ideas of how we could extend Zcash in the future, possibly. It might not work out. It's one of those forefronts of science um, that you can't know in advance uh, what is going to turn out to be possible. But it might be possible to do um, some kind of privacy-preserving auditing of the size of the monetary base. That would probably reduce the privacy of in the well, probably not the fungibility. It would probably reduce the privacy of the currency a little tiny bit, but very little. And in return, we might be able to get uh, better assurance that there hasn't been that kind of counterfeiting of currency. It's definitely not planned for Zcash 1.0, right? Z our, our plan for Zcash 1.0 is just the simplest thing that could get privacy-preserving payments into the world in a, in a real live blockchain as soon as possible. Um, but uh, but I, I'm definitely, concerned about that topic. And so I might prioritize it. If, if Zcash 1.0 is successful enough that people want to use it and that it's valuable, um, then I might prioritize trying to further strengthen it and add that kind of um, sort of belt and suspenders uh, extra defenses. Well, uh, Zuko, just before we we started the episode you mentioned you talked a little bit about the the sort of culture and the need to be open for change can you share a little bit about how you and, and zcash looks at that no i'm not slagging the bitcoin people uh i want to emphasize as i've made clear all along bitcoin is is wonderful both as a technology and as a community and uh the bitcoin devs and bitcoin companies are my close collaborators and uh, cypherpunk fellow travelers all along. Uh, but there's a way in which uh, the Ethereum culture has differed from the Bitcoin culture, and I really like the way Ethereum's doing it, and I want to emulate that, which is that um, the Bitcoin sort of ideal um, has sort of centered around getting everything right the first time and then never changing the rules again. And there's a lot of good reason for that because uh, changing the rules introduces uncertainty, which can um, distort people's uh, economic decision-making. And it, if, if the rules are mutable, then there can be harmful politics in which people try to change the rules for bad reasons, for, for their own good, selfish interest or whatever. Uh, but Ethereum has adopted a different culture, uh, which I, t I totally approve of, which is that uh, these are early days, and none of us know what we're doing. The science is in its infancy, and in five years, we're going to know so much more about what's possible and what's impossible scientifically. We're going to know so much more about what people value, how people use these things, whether people use these things. Um, and so uh, the Ethereum culture, from my perspective, and I'm, I'm no expert, I could be totally wrong, but it seems to me that the Ethereum people are um, – have sort of a informal social contract that we're going to be upgrading this year after year. And the new thing could turn out to be radically different from the old thing. Um, and culturally, we all accept that within Ethereum. Um, now, the risks of damaging economic consequences or uh, political uh, exploitation are um, to 
those risks can be, I, I think, uh, those risks can be controlled because there's no coercion in the system. You can't force anyone else to adopt your new thing. And so you have, so the only way you can get um, an economically meaningful new thing deployed is to get a mass. It doesn't have to be everyone, um, but it has to be a lot of people if, for it to be economically valuable to, to any anyone. Um, and you have to get all those people on board. They have to voluntarily consensually opt into using your new thing. And so to me, that's the most important defense against a upgrading, evolving uh, system being exploited for someone's illicit gain. So in Zcash, what we're intending to do is communicate to our users that we're the, the evolving kind of project. And if you're the get it right and never change it kind of people, that's okay too. You can just pick one of ours and keep it and you don't have to upgrade to the next one. But I'm hoping to get a large mass of people who want to uh, continually um, upgrade their economic system to with better and better features because there's a lot, a lot out there in the future that we want to add and improve. Yeah, I mean, it, it's strange that uh, I, I, I myself uh, kind of had, had the feeling that the whole crypto space, kind of Bitcoin, cryptocurrency people, they're, they're divided into like kind of like two, two camps of people that, that want like contradictory things. And the problem is that both of them till today are focused completely on Bitcoin. There's the one camp that just wants, you know, something like digital gold, like something that exists and doesn't change and that's it. And then there's and then there's people I can I identify with and I'm I'm part of that camp which is like this technology is gonna need twenty years to come into society, and uh, and there's gonna be like loads of iterations on the way, and maybe maybe just the thing that comes into society is will be built by somebody who hasn't even been born yet, so uh, uh, yeah so. <laughs> So the idea that we have we should fear hard forks is to me it's a strange idea. I mean, like we are all pioneers. Do uh, like us not hard forking and like not hard forking because people like me who are running nodes won't do and you know pseudo app get upgrade. It, it seems a bit a bit strange to me, but you know like the community is part of like there there are these two pieces to it and uh, I think Ethereum really does it really well and i'm i'm really happy to hear that even zcash would would want to be in that direction let me interrupt i i mentioned early on that uh i think there's so much to learn from uh the experience of the empirical observations of real life deployment and that's why zcash is almost identical to bitcoin um there are a hundred beautiful ideas some of which some of us are the authors of uh for experimental new cryptocurrency concepts. Uh, and we, with great reluctance, decided we're not going to do any of those in Zcash. We're just going to do Bitcoin plus privacy uh, because um, just because nothing else has the empirical evidence of having worked in the wild under attack for years and years. Uh, but there's some new empirical evidence coming along, which is the Ethereum is working, right? And so that's really, really valuable to me to be able to learn from two, two projects which do various things differently from one another, and they're both working to varying degrees. So that's what that that encourages me to follow um, some of the Ethereum development model and, and governance model. Well, Zuko, so we're at the end of our at the end of our episode. We no, I want to keep going. I know, I know us too. <laughs> so we, we have like a, a whole lot of other topics uh, that we wanted to talk about, but fortunately we'll have Zuka back on when, you know, hopefully not uh, too far future when uh, Zcash launches. With that, that, that is one question we do have to ask before we wrap up. What is the timeline here? When do you expect uh, Zcash 1.0 uh, to launch? Okay, I'm going to swallow and take a deep breath. July. July. Okay, excellent. <laughs> so we'll have you on at, at latest by July, perhaps a little bit before that, uh, so we can talk about a whole lot of economic aspects around the currency, 
some of the governance stuff you've talked about, maybe how you can actually make sure that Zcash keeps evolving, how that's exactly going to work. Also proof of work, uh, how you're approaching that. There's a lot of topics uh, we want to talk about. And perhaps, you know, there'll be also some some new things on uh, on the technology level that we can dive into. So I... Uh, this was a fantastic episode and I really look forward to, to coming back and going even deeper into the topic. I think this Thank is a, so much. Yeah, I think this is a this is a really exciting project and hopefully it's gonna be one that we can we can keep coming back to. Great. Thank you very much. I look forward to the next edition. Okay, perfect. Well, um, so thanks so much for a listener for listening. So we, we put out these episodes every Monday. If you want to listen to them, you can get them in any podcast app you use, or you can watch the videos on YouTube at youtube.com slash epicenterbitcoin. And we're also part of the Let's Talk Bitcoin network, so check out some of their other shows at uh, letstalkbitcoin.com. And uh, if you want to, you can leave us a, a review on iTunes or somewhere else and uh, just email us at show at epicenterbitcoin.com and we'll send you one of those t-shirts plus stickers. I think we, we have some stickers now. So that as well. So thanks so much and we look forward to being back next week.